0: We'll be in Daniel chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, app, um, iPad, iMac, whatever you have, I'm opening up the Daniel 5. And we'll continue in our Daniel series here uh, as a church. And, um, for the past few weeks, now we oh, actually over a month now we've been in the Book of Daniel, which is a story of um, an exile, an exile of Jerusalem who has been living in the Babylonian Empire with his friends, as an official, trying to learn what it means to live in exile in this period of time. And we've went through many amazing stories and we get to now chapter five. And um, what I want to do today is, um, last week now, um, Pastor Rafe talked about Nebuchadnezzar and his downfall and how God humbled him. And in chapter 5, we actually get to learn about his grandson, Belshazzar. Now, if you look in the chapter, you'll see it says kind of father and son, but um, that language uh, most likely means successor, or um, it's a more broad term. So it's um, through historical records, we know actually that Belshazzar was most likely Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, and we see he is very different than his grandfather. So what I want to do is I want to actually read the entire text through. It's, going to, it's a big chunk, but I think it's important for the reading of the entire story for you to really hear what the Word of God says. And then I'm going to go through it and um, help us understand the story and see what we can learn, what God can teach us through His Word. And so I'm going to read and then pray and then dive right in. All right? Daniel chapter 5. And it begins... They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His lips gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams explained riddles and solved problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Balthazar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king met, whom the king, my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the God is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines and have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose, all are, whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Teke, and Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Teke, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and the proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let me pray. Father, we come to you and your word. We believe that it is true. It is good. It can humble us, challenge us, comfort us. Um, But God, as we enter into the story, um, a story that, um, (laughs) as I felt throughout the week, a really unique story, God, um, a story, God, that I feel can have many lessons for us, but Lord, as we now um, try to better understand the story and see how it can be applied to our lives. God, I pray that you would humble us. May our hearts be good soil that could produce good fruit. May the words that I say not be of me, but may it truly be of you, oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so yesterday, uh, yesterday my wife and I had an opportunity to kind of take uh, like half a day off, and we went to this place called King Spa. Now it's kind of like a place where um, you can relax. There's like like 12 different kind of like saunas with different kinds of like heat and temperature and stones and things that are good for your body and can be very relaxing. But what was interesting was when we went into King Spa that day, um, where we had to kind of walk into the procedure, as soon as you entered the spa or like the the sauna place, there was a clear sign and it said, no shoes past this point. So you had to take off our shoes, put it away, um, get the clothes on that they give to you. And then you go into the locker rooms and it says, no entering the sauna until you've like showered or washed yourself. And so we got to do that. And then in the locker room, it says, no cell phone usage, Um, don't. Um, Don't leave your clothes around or put this towel there. And there's a lot of different signs in the locker room. And then as we went into this big area where it's kind of like the public area, there's a cafeteria and a lot of different like rooms where you can go into the sauna, what caught our eyes was not so much the rooms and the amazing kind of like decoration there, but was the amount of signs that said, do not do this or that. It said, please do not bring outside food or drink, or please do not bring water or books or electronics into the sauna, or don't enter this room unless you pay this additional fee, or no kids under 10 in this room, no feet on the table, don't touch this, don't do that. And there were signs everywhere. Now, I was wondering, why, why are there so many signs in this place that's supposed to be a relaxing space? And my wife, being the the smart teacher that she is, she says, it's probably because someone broke the rules in the first place that they had to put this many signs up. And um, when I've been reading this text in chapter 5, I feel that there are many warnings here for us. There are many warnings, there's tons of warnings in scripture, but I think chapter 5 has many warnings for us to learn about this man, Belshazzar, who, if you look in history, is not really known very well in history. Um, There's very little known about him, but he gets a whole chapter here in our Daniel, uh, the the book of Daniel here, and I believe it's because Daniel wants to maybe warn us of this man's life and the way that he lived, and how we can learn from his story. So today, I want to walk through three warnings that we see in chapter 5, just three warnings. And I'm going to go through each one, one by one. They should be on the slides. And the first warning, as we just dive right in, is the warning of the growth of arrogance, now, as I mentioned here, I kind of want to explain the story here. Belshazzar, again, was most likely the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. His father, uh, ne- Nebuchadnezzar, was probably down south away from Babylon. So he gave the ruling power to his son. Um, Belshazzar if you notice in verse 16 he tells Daniel that you'll be the third ruler of the kingdom is because his father is technically number one and he's number two and so the next person would be number three but from the beginning of the chapter we see that this man is not a very great he's not a really good guy because we see he we are immediately dropped into this party this great feast now, it's not like this two-hour birthday party with like cakes and presents and pinatas. Those, those are really, really cool. It's more like a three-week festival where there are tons of food, enough for thousands of people, where there's also tons of drinking, and I'm not talking about the soda and the water kind, and a tons of twisted behavior, probably a lot of um, sexual behavior that's not really good. So we see in verse 1, Belshazzar is in front of the thousand. Now, this is really significant here because that word in front, in Babylonian culture, kings would never celebrate in public with the crowds. They were always in their private kind of palace or kingdom or the king, the rooms. But what he was doing was he was placing himself in front of the thousands, possibly being a little too inebriated or intoxicated, and really just kind of making a fool of himself. And then in verse 2, it says, when Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, and many scholars say that when he tasted the wine also is another way of saying that he was probably too drunk for his own good. And he comes out, and he does one of the most foolish things that he could do as a king. He mocks the God of Israel by taking out the sacred vessels, the the goblets, the cups from um, their, their, their storage that was from Jerusalem's temple. And he uses them in his own debauchery as he worships the Babylonian gods of gold, silver, and earthly elements. These objects he abused were the holy objects used when the Jewish people worshiped God in his temple. And as Jewish people, the slightest misuse mis of these objects could have resulted in their excommunication or even their death. So when Belshazzar does this horrible act, he essentially is proclaiming to the God of Israel, you are nothing. I am better than you. It, I could easily just abuse your sacred objects because I know that my gods are better than you. I mean, imagine with me for a moment here. Think of your most special possession as a family, maybe an heirloom, a ring, or maybe even a home, perhaps the heirloom of our country, one of them being like the Declaration of Independence. Say someone took it, desecrated it, burned it, tore it down, danced over it, mocked it in whatever way, and insulted your family in that manner. Imagine if someone burned the Declaration of Independence and danced on its ashes. There would be a lot of, lot of angry people. But it's not that he is mocking a country, but he is mocking the living God by using these objects in his blasphemy. He is committing a great crime against the God of Israel. But what's even crazier, it gets worse here. What gets crazier about this is that in this text, what we know through historical records, and we know at the end of our story that the Persian Empire comes and kills him and conquers Babylon, but what we also know is that the Persian Empire had most likely won a war against the Babylonian Empire maybe a few weeks or months before this date. And when this party was going on, The Persian Empire, the armies, were waiting literally at the gates of Babylon. So he's having this party while an army is outside their walls, ready to attack them. And they actually, some scholars say that they actually chose to attack Babylon during this time because in a party, they're pretty vulnerable. So why did Belshazzar do this? You know, I know last week, um, Rave talked about the sin of pride, the root of all sin, thinking that we are better or more deserving than others or even God. But there's a reason here why scripture repeats this um, sin, the sin of pride or the sin of arrogance here. Just like I tell my kids to not do this a hundred times, God needs to tell us many times over and over again how this sin of pride or arrogance can kind of creep up. In our lives. And what's kind of unique about this circumstance is that for B- Belsazar's arrogance or his pride and the warning for us is just how much it ballooned even more after his drunkenness and his indulgences. So much so that he does something absolutely detestable, which is mock the living God. Now I'll shoot straight with you here. Uh, you know, in um, this is, you know, I've been wrestling with how to do this, but you know, in in our text here, it's very clear of what Belshazzar was doing in his feast and in his drunkenness, and you know, the reality is, and I never learned this, you know, growing up in the church for a while um, earlier on, but um, what's what's true is that. Um, you know, the use of alcohol or drinking, it's, in and of itself, it's not wrong. You know, I enjoy um, um, a glass of beer or a glass of wine um, occasionally. Nothing wrong with that in moderation. I even also come from um, an alcoholic parent household myself. And so I know the damages of drunkenness and alcoholism can do in a family. But I've learned the sin is not so much in the substance that God has ultimately created, but it's the the person who overtly consumes it and abuses it. But this passage should serve as a warning to us all because, yes, the goal is to not be arrogant or not to be in drunkenness. But it's also to not put ourselves in positions where arrogance or pride can grow by our indulgences or our overconsumptions. Now, this could easily be alcohol, but it also could be by how much you shop so you can present yourself in a certain way. It could also be in how much you work so that you can have a certain title or status. It could also be in how much knowledge you try to gain so that you can know what everything is and everything that's going on around you. The command is simply not to just, like, to not be arrogant, that's true, but the question is, what are you over-consuming in your life that perhaps makes you a little bit arrogant? Think about that for a little bit. The second warning that we see is a failure to remember. A failure to remember. Now, um, what's unique here is that God uses this miraculous Intervention and writes on the wall during Belshazzar party here. Now this is pretty. Uh, this is an amazing act. Like just imagine if my hand started writing on this wall here, it'd be pretty scary. Um, but pretty, um, God's kind of making his message clear. Now, Belshazzar is scared. He can't interpret it. His wise men can't do it. But so he finally asked Daniel to come in to interpret this. And this is a theme that we see in the book of Daniel. But as we look in verse 13 to 14, it's really interesting. We notice that Belshazzar is probably meeting Daniel here for the very first time. He says uh, and he confirms that Daniel was one of these exiles from Judah. And that he's heard of all of the things that Daniel has done but it's, it sounds like he's never met him, probably meaning that when Nebuchadnezzar passed away, Daniel was probably not in the same council for the kings, which I don't think was a very good move for him, but that's what he did. And so he offers Daniel, you know, these, um, the purple robe and the gold chain, symbols that usually mean honor and royalty. And Daniel being um, Daniel and probably being a lot older in his age says, I don't want those things, um, but I'll still tell you the interpretations. Not trying to um, be too prideful, but really just trying to say that um, you can't buy the interpretation that God is trying to reveal to you here. And so in verse 18 to 21, Daniel recounts. Now, this is kind of a a summary of chapter 4. He recounts chapter 4, and he talks about Nebuchadnezzar and how he had received this power and prestige and respect in his kingdom. But then when pride came over to him, Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was then thrown into this um, deranged mind and he was, you know, uh, had hair as, as long as eagles and, co- and, and fingernails as long as bird claws and, and just a lot of just weird looking things. And that until he realized in verse 21, it says, until he realized that he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on earth, repented and then gave glory to God. So then in verse 22, and I want to read verse 22 and 23 again, he says to Belshazzar in his full-on rebuke, Which, if you notice, is not even the interpretation of the writing. It's a rebuke that he gives before the interpretation. He says in verse 22, And you, better translated as, But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. But you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, Which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. And the key in this entire rebuke is that little part in verse 22 at the end that says, Though you knew all this, it's most likely that Belshazzar would have been alive during Nebuchadnezzar's seven years of crazed madness. He would have seen Nebuchadnezzar, his power and his prestige, being humbled, even lower than a man, to becoming almost animal-like. He would have seen his grandfather have feather-like hair, eating grass like an ox. And then he would have seen his grandfather humble himself and say that the God of the universe, that the God of Israel... He is the one that deserves the glory. You would have seen his repentance. You know, chapter 4 of Daniel, Pastor Ray probably mentioned here that it's written in the first uh, person of Nebuchadnezzar. That would have been read out loud and written to all the Babylonian empire. So Belshazzar should have heard it multiple times. So ignorance was not an excuse for Belshazzar. He knew exactly what he was doing with those sacred objects. So Daniel goes before Belshazzar with his neck on the line, even risking that he might be killed for this saying. He rebukes his pride. He rebukes his blasphemous act, rebukes his idolatry, and says, you have not honored the God who your grandfather humbled himself towards. You should know this. You have seen this yourself. Church, let me ask you another question: Do you remember the warnings of those that have gone before you? There is this famous quote: "Those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it." You know, in 1929, many of us know this story: is uh, it's when the United States experienced one of the most, you know, worst economic downturns um, known as the Great Depression. Right. It was a period of great prosperity beforehand. The banks were experimenting with new business. Uh, The asset bubble of the stock market was growing, meaning prices um, exceeded when something is actually worth. But then everything crashed. Stock market declined 45%. 15 million Americans lost their jobs, which is a lot more there than now. Um, And nearly half the banks failed in that time period. It lasted 10 whole years until World War II really kind of helped get America back on track again. And many vowed that it would never happen again. Well, in 2007, not exactly the same case, but a very similar case happened again, which we know as the Great Recession. And like its predecessor, this was also during a time of great prosperity. Banks were experimenting with new businesses. Asset bubble in tech and real estate was really growing in that period. But then, in less than 80 years, our entire country failed to remember the lessons written in their history books and even the lessons from their own grandparents. The stock market declined 54%. Banks failed again. And the number of unemployment rose again. For us... Whether it's in this entire book of scripture that we have here, or maybe even in our parents, our grandparents, or those that have gone before us. There are lessons that we see and that we hear that we should not ignore. And Belshazzar is a story or a warning to us to remember those lessons, or else we'll repeat our mistakes. The third warning that we see is the coming of God's judgment. The coming of God's judgment. This is very clear. In verse 25, we see that Daniel begins to explain the judgment on Belshazzar. Um, He gives, um, these are Aramaic words, mene, mene, tekel, persin. And you'll see them on the screen here and their meanings. But simply put, mene, which is twice in the interpretation, it means Belshazzar's days are numbered. And the doubling of that word probably means that this was going to be very quick. And who knew that it would be that same day? But that's kind of how the interpretation worked. Tekel means a little bit harder to understand. It means wanting or lacking as the NLT translated. It's not measuring up. Here is a picture of an old scale um, where if you have on one side, if you have the weight of God's righteousness on one end, and then you have the acts and lives are the lifehood of Belshazzar. What's happened is that if you put those things side by side, the weight of Belshazzar's life is lacking where It's not measuring up to God's righteousness. Now, the third word Paris means divided or simply that the kingdom of Babylon will be divided and eventually destroyed. And kind of has a double meaning here where Paris is also the root word of the word Persia, where that is the next kingdom that would come to conquer Babylon and rule the known word, the, the known world. Now, as soon as Daniel gives this interpretation, what's really kind of fascinating here is that Belshazzar probably believes Daniel, or I'm not sure what he thinks, but he still kind of rewards him with the purple robe and the golden, um, the, the gold chain, which doesn't really matter much because Persia is going to come the, <laughs> the following evening. Um, but in the end, what we learn here is that God's judgment on Belshazzar's life did not measure up to the righteousness of God. It's a contrast to the humility of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. And that's actually the last we hear of Belshazzar. And as we kind of come to the end of our story, and as I went through kind of the first two warning, the last warning here is the most significant for us now. And it's the warning that God will judge us all. If we go throughout the entire scriptures, we know that God, our judge, will judge our acts from Genesis to Revelations. He says that. And if we look in Revelation 20, we see very clearly this picture. It says, "Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. This is a promise that God has given to all people from all generations that He will judge." Our acts—it It is a promise etched in the narrative of scripture, and none of us, none of you, me included, can escape his judgment. Because if God put our life on that same scale that he put with Belshazzar's life, and we had God's righteousness on one, his holiness, his purity, his love, his expectations, and then we put our life on it. How would it measure up? We would all be found wanting. We would all be found lacking. Because, church, if God's hand appeared in Park South Loop right now and wrote on that wall here, right over there, and He wrote, Your judgments are how you weighed out, what would He write on that wall? What sins? would be written on that wall. And I have another picture here, a word map of many different sins, definitely not all of them. What do you write? Arrogant, lustful, selfish, greedy, disobedient. What would be your final judgment? Hopeless, broken, dead, eternal separation. The final warning for us is that we are more like Belshazzar than we like to believe. You know, last week, um, as I would, you know, last week was, was a moment when I felt like God wrote something on my wall. Um, naturally, I'm a very result-oriented person. That's just kind of the way God has wired me. I'm a very high achiever on the finders. Um So as a church planter, a pastor, um, every week, I have this temptation I want to see results. I want to see results, and for some reason, last Sunday, um, I was just you know frustrated, discouraged, a lot of things happening in my life, but just in that moment, I was frustrated with the results that I weren't seeing um, you know and I know and I know that Jackie and Rafe just kind of shared about Park Hyde Park, and God has been doing amazing things, but um, for my own just selfish and prideful motivations, you know all I could think of was numbers our finances, our ministries our results and um It was just the way that I wanted it to grow and I wasn't seeing it. And I was getting frustrated. And if you're ever in a place like that, even if you work at a company or a school or an organization, if growth is all that you're concerned about, it begins to make you dissatisfied about everything that happens in your work. And what's worse is that you no longer see your employees, your customers, or for me, those who are in the ministry as people to love and to grow with, but, we saw, but you see them as people, as means to growth. And at that moment, um, this really was a kind of a, it was a humbling moment. But in the sermon that I was preaching on pride, um, I felt God really kind of speak to me and ask me this question. Noah, do you love your people or are you just using your people for your own results? Bam, right there. I, and that moment. And at that moment, I felt God right on my wall, selfish, unloving, hypocrite even, and condemned. And I had to confess to God, and I will confess to my church on this on the afternoon, of just how I have not uh, measured up, that my scale is very much lacking in terms of God's righteousness, And I deserve the same death that Belshazzar was killed on that day as well. And that ends the story here. But is that the end of the news? Is that the rest of the story here? Um, It's not, church. It's not. Because what's really, um, it's hard to see here, but in this um, annihilation of Babylon from the Persian Empire, there is a promise that we see in the Old Testament, in the prophets even, Where if you look back in Jeremiah 51 or Isaiah 9, you'll uh, you'll see that God promises to one day destroy Babylon, who had conquered Israel in that time. But just as much as God has promised that Babylon would be destroyed, and that he fulfills that promise here on this day, God also promises to his people Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, God says that I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The good news is that this story is not the end for us. The good news is that 600 years later, Jesus Christ will come down to earth with no sin, with no stain on his wall or his heart, but he would die on the cross for the glory of the Father, but also for us, so that the blood of Jesus could blot out the handwriting of condemnation that is written on all of our hearts. Words that were etched in unerasable scarlet ink would be made white as snow, and not only are those sins erased and our condemnation forgiven, but because of Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit given to each one of us who believe, on that wall, the words that are now written are forgiven, are loved, are justified, hope-filled, beloved child, adopted, restored, righteous, innocent, pure, free, beautiful, empowered, and so, so, so much more. Only because of Jesus who has come, died, and resurrected can those walls that we were, were just itched, just cluttered with all the condemnation would be written with new words of life. And Tim Keller, he says the best. He says that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We can't know this hope unless we know the condemnation that we first was written on our walls for us, church. That is the warning that is in this story. And there are probably tons more, but one that I felt that was important for us to share. And so, church, this is the promise of the gospel given to each one of you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the story of Belshazzar, Um, a very insignificant man, God, but um, a warning to all of us. God, a warning that, um, God, that we are prone to arrogance, a warning that we um, at times fail to remember the lessons of those that have gone before us, a warning, God, that your judgment is coming But God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for his resurrection power living in us who believe that those words are no longer there, but they are wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you continue to do in our lives. Thank you, God, for the word. Thank you, God, for this church. And God, continue to move us, empower us, and lead us for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.